some of these folks have become very offended at contrarian narratives and they have found that they can weaponize government agencies against people to make those people's lives miserable. Number one, you can no longer, they should pass a law that you can no longer have anonymous hit jobs, complaints turned into medical boards against doctors because they're exercising free speech and putting their patients first and treating their patient as an individual instead of using the broad brush of treatment strategies that are given from on high that are constantly shifting and changing and proven to be untrue. And Vaccinated or not, toxic spike proteins pose a long-term threat to your health. The top doctors at the wellness company have introduced a revolutionary spike support formula that is the only product that contains ingredients that block and dissolve spike proteins inside your body. The powerful formula has been shown to dissolve spike proteins and blood clots, and it works to help your body repair from other potential damage. This amazing formula is also much less expensive than buying each ingredient separately. That's because the wellness company puts you and your needs first. Use the link below or go to sarahwestall.com under shop to buy your daily spike support. It's time to protect you and your family against the effects of COVID, vaccines, and shedding. Again, use the link below or buy at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Bobby Bounds, he's a friend of mine, and then I have Dr. Scott Jensen, and I have Dr. Richard Bartlett. I am so glad that they're here joining me today. Bobby got us together because he's been working with a group that has are analyzing all the death certificates uh, in, he got all of them in Minnesota. He has four states that he got them from, and he's getting really good information on what really went on with COVID. But we wanted Dr. Bartlett and we wanted Dr. Scott Jensen to join us too, because they have been really in the forefront fighting the, for this. But I also... Uh, Scott Jensen, I wanted him here because he has been mercifully attacked on his trying to take away his medical license. And, you know, he ran for governor in Minnesota and he has just been attacked here. And now he's suing the attorney general of the state of Minnesota for freedom of speech. And But it's bigger than that. It's how they're weaponizing the medical boards. And I wanted to get to the bottom of that. So we start with that. I don't think people realize how insidious this is and how much they're using this to weaponize it. And when they did the investigation against him, his opponent used that as a reason why you don't want to vote for him because he's a doctor that's being investigated, but the investigation itself was bogus. So they've weaponized all this stuff. And so we need to get to the bottom of it. And so we talk about it, but uh, Dr. Bartlett is uh, amazing. He worked with Aaron Surrey, who was the lawyer, the attorney for ICANN, who got Pfizer to release the 70, you know, the stuff they were going to hold for 75 years is where all this data is coming from. I didn't know he was in, it was him and Aaron Surrey that made that happen. And so Bartlett is a hero too. I mean, they, there's a lot of uh, respect to go around with this group, but they're just really have been doing really great stuff with COVID. I think you'll appreciate it. But I, I, you know, I push back on with Scott Jensen, and I hope you don't see that as me disrespecting him. I really think it's important that you hold that we have these conversations. I need to push back. It's my role. And um, I have the utmost respect for him, but I have to push back. And I also am a little harder on some of these people than he is. I, I think that there needs to be more accountability and um, not that he doesn't think there needs to be accountability. I think it needs to go a little further down the chain to people who uh, 
should have known better. And we need to get to the bottom of that. And definitely people who should have known better at the top that were forcing these agendas. We have to get to the bottom of this because there's too much suffering that has already occurred and will occur unless we get to the bottom of this. Okay, so remember to go to sarahwestall.com and support my affiliates and pause it, subscribe to the platform that you're watching this on and help my numbers get up. And let's get into this really good conversation with this panel, Dr. Bartlett, Dr. Scott Jensen, and Bobby Bounds. I have three amazing people here today, so thank you so much for coming. I have Bobby uh, I have Bobby and I have Dr. Scott Jensen and I have Dr. Bartlett joining the program. So thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. It's good to be on. Okay. Well, I, you know, I've been talking to Bobby for a long time, Bobby Bounds. I've been talking to you for a long time about doing this show because you've been collecting data on COVID. You have the death certificates from four states now. Minnesota is one of them. And we're going to analyze that. And it's so important because it's it's data we haven't had until now that's giving us a much clearer picture of what really happened. But before we get into that, I really wanna to talk to you, uh, Scott, about what is going on with your medical license. I know they've been attacking you mercilessly. I don't think I said that word right, but six times I think they went after your license. I, I don't know if it's seven by now. My question is, how can they keep going after you? What is going on? I mean, once they dismiss it a couple of times, shouldn't they be done? So what is their claims? Well, you're exactly right, Sarah. I mean, it's problematic. And I, it's not just Scott Jensen in Minnesota. It's happening across the country. But I think Minnesota, we are, if you will, a blue state with many hardcore liberal activists present some of these folks have become very offended at contrarian narratives, and they have found that they can weaponize government agencies against people to make those people's lives miserable. This is what they started to do in 2020 with me when I first came out with the information that the Minnesota Department of Health, in concert with the CDC, had advocated for us physicians to revise the way we completed death certificates. I pointed out that being instructed to use COVID-19 as the cause of death in a set of circumstances where it was not the cause of death, but rather it was potentially a contributing condition, to be asked to use it as the underlying cause of death, while other contributing conditions such as severe influenza, uh, pneumonia, Influ uh, asthma, emphysema, we were not told to utilize those as the cause of death if we thought they were contributing conditions. So that was really the linchpin that it all started. And so in June of 2020, I was investigated for the first time in my career for the first time. But since then, and during the course of a, finishing my last year in the Senate as vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, throughout my run as a governor to be governor of Minnesota for a year and a half, I have been under that dark cloud of an investigation. My opponent, uh, the incumbent governor, Tim Walz, did use that against me during the campaign on social media, pointing out to audiences that any doctor that's under investigation must not be good for Minnesota. <laughs> so these are, these are the so things bad. that happened. But the core cause was that the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice perceives that it is responsible for 
responding to all alleged complaints from people, regardless of what they were. And so people who make the complaint six times, 18 allegations, never met me that I know of, never received a healthcare service from me, wasn't concerned about whether or not I had inappropriately treated congestive heart failure or missed the diagnosis of diabetes. It was all about the fact that the advice I was providing was doubting the conventional narrative. I doubted the value of lockdowns. I doubted the need to move the goalpost midstream. I doubted the locking out of kids from school. I doubted uh, the notion that you could tell someone to wear a mask and then give them the idea that they would not get the disease. I mean, everything I, that you were proven right over, right? I mean, all that stuff has been proven out now. Exactly. But because these activists felt that they could weaponize a regulatory agency against an individual, this is what happened to me. And so about a month and a half ago, when I met with the Board of Medical Practice and spent 90 minutes of intense discussion with them, after a 15-minute recess, we came back together and they told me we dismissed all the allegations. This case is closed. Is it closed forever? I mean, because they keep reopening it. So it doesn't make sense. Sounds like you have good people in the system still, which is a positive, but yet they can keep going after it. Exactly. And that's why I made the decision to ask my legal team to move forward and we will file suit against the attorney general's office in Minnesota who got involved uh, during the fifth and sixth investigations, as well as the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice, because I'm asking the courts to step in and make it very clear what that line is between, if you will, professional conduct as it relates to the practice of medicine, which should be governed by the Minnesota board versus freedom of speech my ability to stand on the Senate floor and utter my opinion in regards to some of the policies put in place by the governor of Minnesota. But I Scott, it's worse than that. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's freedom of speech. Yes, absolutely. I had just started a nonprofit focusing on freedom of speech. I get freedom of speech, but it's even broader than that because now what they're doing is they're bullying doctors and saying, you even stray from the government narrative or whatever our agenda is, we're going to take your license away. And so that puts at risk hundreds of millions of American lives, because if their agenda doesn't align with what's best for health, we're hosed. Sarah, you make a good point. And let me just expand on that just a little bit. And it might be interesting to have Dr. Bartlett's perspective on this as well. But it isn't, again, about a family doctor in Midwestern Minnesota and the fact that the heavy hand of government regulatory agencies is coming down on my right to ex exercise freedom of speech. Who it really hits is every small business person that operates under the jurisdiction of a permitting or a licensing authority. You could be a hairstylist. And if you have to have your place of business inspected annually or semi-annually, you are potentially going to be exposed to the weaponization of that permitting agency. So whether you own a restaurant, a bar, a dental clinic, a hair, sal hair salon, anybody that has to have a government authorization of any type is 
potentially going to have the same fate that I've had. But it goes even deeper than that, Sarah, because it really goes to the patient. Because physicians are fearful of having the kind of honest conversations that patients have asked us to have. Could we do this? Could we do this? Is there something I could do for prevention? Is remdesivir what I should be doing? Are monoclonal antibodies no longer useful? What about these off-label uses of medications that have been tried and safe for the last 50 years? These are the kinds of conversations that patients aren't getting to have. In fact, in many situations, Sarah, physicians are dismissing those patients That's right. from their practices. So this is a huge issue for literally the healer but also those desiring healing. And we need to remember that. It's worse for them. It's worse if you don't get to hear, I mean, it's all free speech. Everything comes under free speech, but it's worse for them because they don't get to hear what things that will help them make a decision that's right for them and their family that could lead to serious consequences. Absolutely. Okay, well, Dr. Bartlett, can you ex tell me what, why is it that, the, the powers that be, the activists who seem to be in power are so aligned with Big Pharma. It seems like they are, they claim to be for the little guy, but they're protecting the most wealthy and most powerful amongst us. What is going on there? Sarah, thank you for letting me join you. I, I want to start by saying Senator Scott Jensen is a hero. He is. Dr. Scott Jensen is a hero. When they were bullying, censoring uh, uh, everybody, the whole planet, he stood strong. He stood tall. And he was a legend at the beginning of COVID in Texas, where I am. And, and it's not just in Minnesota that the medical health, medical uh, boards have been weaponized. And it's not a new thing either. It didn't start with COVID. Uh, to be on the medical board, I have experience with with boards and task forces because I was on the Texas Health Disparities Task Force uh, with Governor Rick Perry and gave advice for seven years to him and then received the Meritorious Service Award. So I've been an advisor on the state level. I can tell you, if you want to large financial contributions to someone who was governor, and so that opens the door for uh, corporations to be uh, influencing. And corporations have been influencers for a very long time with uh, agencies that oversee various things. You know, it's interesting, Scott Jensen mentioned uh, hairdressers, because in Texas during COVID, in Dallas, we had a hairdresser thrown in jail because she opened her, because yeah. she opened her business because it wasn't deemed an essential business. Scott Jensen did the right thing to say they were wrong when they arbitrarily came up with uh, six feet apart social distancing. What was the an hairdresser? The hairdresser, how is she going to feed herself unless you're going to provide her that money for shutting down their business? I mean, that's why the Constitution is in place. So you can't do things like that because taking away her livelihood and her ability to eat, I mean, what right is it? To you, but keep going. It was ar arbitrary, capricious. It was non-science, non-science, not medically founded to de to deem the strip clubs essential businesses 
the liquor store's essential I'm business. I'm not laughing because it's funny, but that and fits with what they're doing everywhere. Keep that's going. That's what they did. That's what they did, Sarah. It's so incredible. And, the strip clubs are okay, but the hairdresser and the churches have to be shut down. Well, uh, here so, you go. Uh, I got one more example. Dr. Burks said that uh, her advice for the public, for the world in dealing with COVID was don't sing in church specifically. It's, it's, it and so when Scott Jensen uh, stands up against non-science and non-medicine, when he puts his patients first, when he can, when he values them first and treats them individually correctly, instead of the centralized healthcare like they have in the CCP that got copied around the world with COVID, a lot of these uh, measures that they did started in China with the CCP and then were copied in Italy and then France and then the UK and then New York. And within weeks, all of those places had 30,000 deaths. They had a death toll. That was not a winning strategy. What, what Scott Jensen was doing was right, is right, and will be proved right a thousand years from now. Yeah, I think it'll the history will will play itself out, but we still have our issue where, like you were saying, the medical boards were a problem before COVID, and they're still a problem with whatever else comes down the line. They're very politically aligned. They're not aligned for healthcare. Big pharma is businesses, whether it's big pharma or other businesses, are very in bed with these people. And it doesn't align with what's good for the American people or what's good for health or what's just pro-human. It it aligns with whatever the, their agenda is, whether it makes sense or not. How do we break that down? Um, before we get into the numbers with Bob, that Bobby has, I, I want to ask both of you, how do we solve that? Because if we don't solve that, we are ripe for another catastrophe. Well, Scott Gottlieb, I believe, was the, in charge of the FDA, later hired by Pfizer as soon as he left that position. There is an uh, inappropriate relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and the FDA that should be regulating and protecting the public from bad practices of the pharmaceutical industry. And there's example after example but laws should be passed. You cannot go from working with the FDA before or after to the pharmaceutical industry that you should be overseeing. And we've seen example after example- Or make those a lot of money, like Fauci, like actually have patent rights and make money from what he's using, but keep going. Example after example that we've seen of people that were a part of an independent board overseeing the, uh, the safety data of these vaccines actually had highs and had finance, financial strings attached before, after, during uh, the uh, investigation of the products that they're supposed to be protecting the public from. Uh, there, there's a removal of the objective. Uh, there's a basic principle in medical ethics and the American Medical Association says, the code of medical ethics for doctors is that they are supposed to just—they're supposed to tell whether they have a financial tie to anything, whether they have a uh, uh, any obligation or any relationship financial conflict uh, of interest. That, yeah, right. A conflict of interest. Has Anthony Fauci ever told the public that he has a conflict of interest? No, and I mean Anthony's that's the that's the problem. And then the media won't 
other than the independent media, the media won't report on it. And the people who do report on it, on it are censored. So, I mean, we have this issue. So, Can't and you. then there's laws in place and they don't even follow them. Let me tell you, the medical boards will investigate every complaint, every anonymous complaint. And one of the problems is corporations, competing hospitals that are following the CDC narrative, which is constantly shifting and changing because it's proven to be untrue over and over again. Remember that we had Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, saying, if you get the shots, you won't get COVID, and then she gets COVID. And do you remember Anthony Fauci saying, if you get the shot, you can be confident that you won't get COVID, and he got four shots, and then he got COVID twice. I know, it's ridiculous. She, she and, Walensky said that masks keep you from getting COVID by 80%. I mean, the, it is, everything she said was proven wrong. Everything. But, but you know, and... To be fair, the American people who are not listening to certain media outlets, but actually figuring it out and looking at the truth, uh, have no—I mean, they have no credibility in the eyes of the public anymore. But how well, do we how do we fix so this? Here, and I want, here it I want, is, Sarah. Go ahead. Here it is. Number one, you can no longer—they should pass a law that you can no longer have anonymous hit jobs complaints turned into medical boards against doctors because they're exercising free speech and putting their patients first and treating their patient as an individual instead of using the broad brush of treatment strategies that are given from on high that are constantly shifting and changing and proven to be untrue. In other words, no corporations, no incorporated hospital systems or doctors that are employees of incorporated systems should be able to file an anonymous complaint to the medical board against a doctor's license, livelihood, reputation. And that's happening right now. I've had four complaints during COVID and uncovered was that when I said uh, that a hospital should not be putting plastic bags over people's heads in the ER that were testing positive for COVID, I was attacked anonymously. Can when you imagine I said, plastic bags over their heads? Some of the most obvious things they were doing, but I'm surprised that only a handful of you actually came out and fought it. I mean, I would think the whole... That's why they're losing credibility. Your fellow doctors are losing credibility because only a handful of you guys came out and said, putting plastic bags is ridiculous. I'm sorry, keep going. Sarah, for a whole year, they, were put, they would test someone in the emergency room with a swab up their nose. If they tested positive, even if their oxygen level was low, they would rip a plastic bag off a roll of plastic bags made for equipment covers, not made for human use. Like if you go to the produce section of a grocery store and there's a roll of plastic bags and you rip it off, got to whip it open, whipped it over a patient's head over and over for a year. And doctors look the other way. Nurses look the other way. Hospital administrator doubled down when he was called on it. There should be some, there so should be some repercussions for way. that. There, there has to be. Reper and see, if we don't, one thing, Scott, you said on the campaign trail, and by the way, I thought, can't prove it because it's kind of close. But if I could get the data, I bet you we could show that you probably won, but you're never gonna get the data. And it was, unfortunately, it was a little more, wasn't as obvious as like Carrie Lake or Donald Trump, you know, the election results. So you can't prove it unless you can get the data, which is impossible to get. But you said on the campaign trail is we need to heal. And like just what Dr. Bartlett's saying and and you, it, if we do not, have if they don't have repercussions and they just get away with looking the other way we're not going to heal from this 
Well, I think we need to make the distinction uh, between accountability and revenge. That's right. And I think we do need to heal. I mean, I think all physicians have to reserve the right to be wrong. I mean, how many years were we telling the public, for heaven's sakes, don't eat eggs? And then we came back and said, oh, I guess you can eat eggs. How many years were we telling everybody over the age of 40 to take an aspirin every night to stop a heart attack until we stopped telling people that and said, we're solving less problems with heart disease and causing more problems with GI bleeds. So I think that we need to focus on accountability. And accountability is looking at someone like Tony Fauci, Deborah Burks. People but how about who, the hospitals, official- though? I gotta, I, you have to address this. How about the hospitals that were being paid to use a protocol that went against what they used to do for the flu and everything else, and they were watching their patients die, and they did it anyways because people were dying because they made money? Well, when we're talking about hospitals, sir, it's important that we be accurate and precise as to what we're complaining about. I agree. First first off, the death certificate question that I raised originally had nothing to do with any payment. The payment to a hospital or a physician is not related to what the death certificate says. It's related to what's on the discharge summary from the hospital. So we have to be clear on that. We have to be clear on, did some hospitals follow the rule of the law while others follow the spirit of medicine. For instance, in the early days of COVID, there were three cardinal symptoms of COVID, cough, fever, and shortness of breath. All you needed to have to make a presumptive diagnosis of COVID was two of three of those without a positive test. Well, the number of people that we have come in during the winter, whether it's a cold, a strep throat, influenza, or COVID, that have two of three, fever, cough, or shortness of breath, is immense. At that point in time, you could put down presumptive COVID. Many people didn't realize that from January 1st, 2020 to June 10th, 2020, if a provider or a hospital system was able to reach 161 patients discharged from their hospital with a diagnosis of COVID, they got an additional payment of somewhere between fifty dollars and $75,000 per patient on top of what they'd already received. For some hospitals, such as in Minnesota, we had approximately 12 systems that received those dollars. Many of the systems didn't even realize the game they could have played. Minnesota got approximately $170 million in that second tranche of dollars distributed in the CARES Act, which was called the high impact distribution. These are the kinds of things that you cannot blame a hospital administrator for doing if they thought this would be the thing that would help keep their hospital afloat and they were following the letter of the law. I'm concerned about when we see things like Tony Fauci deny that there's any gain of function when it's pretty darn clear there was, when he denies that he wasn't helping fund research in Wuhan. I'm concerned about Deborah Burks telling us that that I'm nothing but a distraction, but oh, by the way, just because it says COVID-19 on a death certificate doesn't mean they died of COVID-19. We had the Illinois Department of Health official who went in a video into some detail about how they're using COVID as a cause of death, even though it didn't cause the death. This is why Bobby Bounds has data coming out of his ears that indicate that frequently someone with a motor vehicle accident might well have a diagnosis on their 
death certificate of COVID-19. This is accountability. But on the other hand, I'm not interested in being mean-spirited to my colleagues. I understand that my colleagues were fearful. 75% of physicians in this country are employed. They didn't want to lose their job. Yeah, for such but a time as, I Sarah, know you want to be nice, as, but I mean, at some point, I, I, and I, I, I don't know if it's revenge if you're going to, if you clean it up, because a lot of people died and suffered because they didn't take their oath as a, a medical doctor seriously. They were too scared to do what their oath had told them to do, which is do good medicine Sarah, first. I, Sarah, I don't think you get to say that. I don't think you get to say that. I don't think you, I don't think you can say that someone who disagreed with me in 180 degrees doesn't take their oath of hypocrisy, Hippocratic oath. Well, were they not competent then? Because there were clearly other, they were following protocols that were, weren't working very well when they had other evidence of better protocols or were they not very, I mean, that, that's a sign of incompetence in that way. So, I mean, you don't, you shouldn't be prosecuted for being incompetent, but you know, I mean, I'm just being honest here. Yeah, I, I don't think we're really disagreeing. I think we need to pursue accountability. There can be no question. But we also need to recognize that we were all being exposed to our own camps. I noticed, I, I was teaching at the medical school at the University of Minnesota up until the end of 2020. I saw how different a person in this environment perspective was versus someone in this environment. Me as a private physician, owning my own clinic for the most part, I was able to be more in charge of what I did than the person who was dependent upon a big corporate system. And I think that we need to recognize that for the most part, your your doctors and nurses across the nation were trying to do the right thing. It was just not as clear. I mean, when we first saw those ventilators being used, like they were, you know, the holy grail answer, you know, it took a few months and it took a young physician from New York to come out and say, hey, uh, we've got an 80% death rate on people who are being put on a ventilator. And what happened? That led to the cessation of such aggressive use of ventilation. And then we figured out that simply jacking up the pressure by which we tried to force air into a person's lungs, causing the alveolar sacs to rupture, was not helping patients. What was more important was a high concentration of oxygen. But I, I think that- But there is a confidence to... issue though, across the but entire Sarah, industry, Sarah, I but I get I it, I get it. It's a, Sarah, to I me, wanna... I think it's a competence issue, but- to me, to me, I think your question earlier is the important one. How do, we glean from what we went through, the wisdom, so that we're better going into the future. You said, how do we change minds? Yeah. I think one of the things we have to do is we have to recognize that people like Dr. Bartlett saved a whole lot of lives because he was willing to color outside the lines. He remembered well the lessons of 1976 when the Legionnaire's disease outbreak took place. And we were having people coming out of the Philadelphia Convention dying of a disease that we couldn't figure out. Our best antibiotics weren't curing these people. They were still dying. But why were we listening to Bartlett? Why were we censoring him? Because he had solutions. He wasn't the only one, but he was being censored and attacked and everything else. That is something we need to learn from. I couldn't agree more. And you asked before, how do we change the tide? How do we change the narrative? I think we're seeing it happen and we have to keep doing what we're doing. 
your voice has to be a prominent voice. Bobby Bounds Data has to have a prominent role. Dr. Bartlett has to be consulted and given a chance to say what he's thinking. But at the end, we're going to take pieces from mainstream media like CNN, West, uh, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. They are coming out with articles demonstrating that when people were told that they wouldn't get the disease if they wore a mask, it wasn't true. They got the disease and they still died. That COVID-19 death certificates were overcounted. That lockdowns weren't effective, that the people that were hurt the most was not what they weren't helping minorities, they were hurting minorities. It was minority students. It was the number of kids that were being abused in homes because everybody was locked down and they were under impossible living situations. We're starting to see that crack in this armor that they were wearing. And we need to keep elevating that and keep doing what we're doing. And in the end, I'm seeing in this lawsuit that I'm bringing against the Attorney General and the Board of Medical Practice in Minnesota, I'm seeing physicians start to step forward and say, Scott, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it's important. And I want to help. But I have to stay off the radar screen because I don't want to lose my job. So we'll get a personal check. And we, we, cool. we deposit that. that. Go ahead. But the bottom line is, we're seeing the lockdowns, the gain of function, the origin of the vax, the virus, uh, the goalposts being moved, the mandates, the masks. Uh, when natural immunity was thrown under the bus as if it was some sort of controversial microbiologic uh, theory, when it's been something that's part, been part of mankind for 2,500 years, we're seeing these things bubble up to the surface. It's starting to make a difference. We've got to keep on talking about it. We've got to elevate the fact that we had Wilninski saying, take the vaccine. You won't get the disease. You won't transmit the disease. Did and she then we know? have other words. Did and she then, know or is we... she doing it vindictively? I mean, what was her, that's the questions are, I mean, because she said it with so much confidence without the data. So what's behind that? I don't think we get to judge another person's motivations in a casual way. No, I that's that why I'm saying, I mean, a, but, but but at what point do leaders in a medical that causes a lot of death and misery who are wrong, who say it with confidence and are wrong and don't have the data to prove they're right, what, what what's going on there? Well, there was a tremendous shortage of data. And what happened, I think one of the cardinal sins of what we did with COVID-19, and again, I would ask Dr. Bartlett his opinion on this, but I think when you look at the SARS Corona one virus in 2001, to the time of COVID-19 in 2020 or 2019, I think what you'll see is for 20 years, we had been doing research. We had been testing antibodies on people who had Corona-1, who had SARS in 2001. And we knew that the great majority of those people still had antibodies present five years after they had SARS-Corona-1. We knew that masks did not stop RNA viruses that were 0.1 micron in size. We had a lot of data. That, that's in what the I'm moment, saying. Sarah, but in the moment of the panic in 2020, that data was thrown out the window. But, but and all of a sudden, people were throwing mud on the wall and saying, well, this is what we have to do. This is one of the things we have to learn about. We had a plan. There was no data that said that locking kids out of schools and locking businesses down would but be a good But they acted idea. like there was data and they had so they much sure. confidence. And so there's a point where 
I don't know. I mean, I may, we can agree to disagree, but there's a point when you are in the leadership position acting like the data is there and you say it with 100% confidence and it leads to a whole bunch of harm and you were mis telling mistruths, the data wasn't there and you should know better because we had 100 years of data with masks, for example. I mean, at what point are you part of some, some you, you should be responsible in some way. Like Fauci. We agree, so. Okay. Accountability, accountability is critical. Okay. Well, let's get into, I, I, I have to push back on this stuff. You know, I do. So hope you take it in that spirit. Okay. No so, uh, so, okay, Bobby, cause you know, I, people know that I supported you <laughs> and I still would have support you today over walls. And by the way, my, um, my kids have, well, my daughter has some friends who are very close to the walls family. And I, um, it's interesting because I've had some kids tell me that he's very, very different in private than he is in public. And uh, what he says publicly uh, with his word salads, if you will, is very different than the way he talks to his, uh, in his, his speeches. And I, I wish people could hear what he really talks behind the doors because I think it would give a different uh, picture of him. But regardless, that's a different topic. Bobby, you have so much great information that you need to share because I think that the world needs to hear it. So will you talk about, cause you've got data, death certificate data that, that, I mean, we have four states right now. I mean, the fact that we got it is amazing cause it's taken you a long time to get that, but we have, can you talk about what you have? And then let's talk about some of the things that you learned from it. Yes, thank you. I have two things today. Uh, you guys already know this, but um, because we got the Minnesota data, full unredacted eight year set, of death certificates, we have a good uh, baseline to look at the past, <clears throat> look at the past, and then look at the last few years in re in relation to the past. And so, I have two things: all cause deaths uh, graph together with the vaccine uptake over time, and there's a pretty strong correlation. It, it's simple. It's simple data that's not. It's it's very accurate. You can't. Uh, dispute the data. It's all cause deaths. It's, it's spot on. The, the state knows how to count dead people pretty accurately and put it in a computer. Um, but when you get into categorization, it's a whole nother matter. But uh, the all cause versus the, uh, the vaccine uptake data that the Minnesota Department of Health proudly displays on its website is easy to scrape off there. And then you just compare it. And as you... Um, as you look at that data, you see that um, throughout beginning in early 21, when they started the injections, um, uh, deaths sort of continued a, a steady climb throughout the year of 2021. And as the months ticked by, they would they would uh, get, they would uh, do these injections month to month, and they'd ramp it up. You know, and February, it might be half a million doses in March, it might be almost a million or goes up to a million three. Then within a, a few months, it, they, they drop right back down, back to a half a million and down to very small amounts. And then, and then the, the, the period of time and later, later 21, they started another massive sort of booster campaign. Same thing, they stepped it up over a period of a couple of months, two, three months, up to like one and a half million doses a month. But then uh, they dropped it right back down with it. So 
you know, there was like this four month window of massive boostering and then it dropped right back down. And sorry, the second thing that I am still working on this, but the vaccination deaths are high, are hidden as COVID deaths during the flu season. And you don't hear anybody talking about this. And so you, you've got this real crazy debate going on on uh, both sides, one side saying, hey, you know, you don't have the, you don't have the death. You, you're not, you're not really definitively showing the vaccine deaths. So I'm hoping I can get these two to chime in on this and, and uh, refute this or, or, or correlate it. But basically uh, the vaccination campaign in late 21 coincided with the normal seasonal flu season. And so that helped to cover up things too, but essentially the great majority of those who perished in late 21 were very elderly. And, um, and so the, um, we all know so that by, um, uh, during that time, October, by October of 21, over, they had done over 7 million injections in a pop in a state with a population of six million people, so a whole bunch of injections had been completed by the time the seasonal flu season hit Minnesota. And and so what and and as we all know, we all have friends and personal experience, whatever. Uh, we know that a lot of people who took the injection quickly got sick from COVID. So what happened in October, November, twenty one? A whole bunch of elderly people were boosted and they were metabolically unwell to begin with. And, you know, some of them were very, you know, moribund, really, whatever. But they caught COVID and that was their systems couldn't handle it and they perished from COVID. COVID was so Bobby, put on the death certificate. So, Bobby, but, I want to put up these slides so, that so you. My, my, my final point on that is, is though, in my humble opinion, those people who took the jab, caught the COVID, and then died from uh, uh, respiratory conditions or related, they're back, they're, they're in the death, they're in the vac they're in the death by a vaccine. And yeah, they died of COVID related, but the whole sequence began with, had they not That's been injected, right. they may still be alive today. But can, can I, so there's a few things, I want to put up these slides that you gave me, so I think people can see, and you're going to have to help me what goes where, but uh, I think there's a couple things that you've said that are important, and and to uh, to be fair, it's the vaccines. There is a group of people that are saying the vaccines are going to kill everyone, and that's not true either. I mean, this these this numbers are showing the vaccine are they are killing people, but not at numbers that some people out there are saying. And then the other side of it is, is that it is causing, there's blips when the vaccine, you get the booster, you get the vaccine, we're seeing death go up, right? And there's a correlation of that. And then also they're counting people as COVID deaths when it's really a vaccine death. So these are big deals and this numbers, these numbers will get to what the truth really is. And can you summarize I'm trying to summarize. Can you summarize what kind of the big takeaways are from this? Well, like I just said a minute ago, uh, when you look at death certificates and the ICD-10 codes and how the death and dying process is categorized 
by well-intentioned medical professionals that are trying to put on the death certificate the sequential sequence of, uh, of illness and conditions leading to the, their ultimate demise. So that's a very valuable process, right? And uh, if it's done right, it, it really tells people, you know, what, you know, the, the process that led to this person's death. And it, it's helpful for public health reasons and a bunch of other reasons. But as soon as you, and that's where, that's where well-meaning people that read death certificates, they, they trust the ICD-10 codes. They trust that they're accurate. But there's all of these incentives, political, fraudulent, monetary. There's all, all this stuff enters in as soon as you categorize a death. Well, okay, and but your let's confidence get that, in the data goes way down. Well, but let's get into when a vaccine has been put out in the past, if there's been more than five out of a million deaths, they shelved it. I, I want to hear from Scott and um, Dr. Bartlett. What are the, uh, what are we dealing with here? I mean, because we know we're past that. And why is it still on the market? Vaccinated or not, toxic spike proteins pose a long-term threat to your health. The top doctors at the wellness company have introduced a revolutionary spike support formula that is the only product that contains ingredients that block and dissolve spike proteins inside your body. The powerful formula has been shown to dissolve spike proteins and blood clots, and it works to help your body repair from other potential damage. This amazing formula is also much less expensive than buying each ingredient separately. That's because the wellness company puts you and your needs first. Use the link below or go to sarahwestall.com under shop to buy your daily spike support. It's time to protect you and your family against the effects of COVID, vaccines, and shedding. Again, use the link below or buy at sarahwestall.com under shop. I'll let Dr. Bartlett go ahead first. Okay. So in the 70s, they had the swine flu vaccine. 43 Americans died. That was too many American deaths. And so they pulled it. Uh, even though there was supposed to be a, a pandemic of a rapidly mutating, highly contagious respiratory disease that was scary, that we should be afraid, very afraid. But because of 43 deaths in the United States, it was pulled. We've got at the CDC VAERS website, the CDC website itself shows over 35,000 deaths related, reported from the COVID shots, 35,000 over a million injured. The UK has socialized medicine. Everybody's healthcare is in, the, is in the computer. All their records are in the computer. For over a year now, they've been paying for deaths from COVID shots and injuries from COVID shots of a, up to 120,000 per person for over a year now. So to say that they're safe, let's just talk about, I'm an ER doctor. I'm an emergency room doctor. I have filled out death certificates. You don't have all these computer panels in front of you when you're filling out the death certificates. You're in a moment, many times they'll just uh, give you the paper to fill out and it's someone that you took care of and uh, that you saw in the emergency room. Maybe they rolled in dead already and you tried to resuscitate it when you couldn't. And you fill it out right then. It's, it, it, it is not what everybody thinks. And so... What really is happening as an ER doctor, I have had patients who got the COVID shot two hours before at a chain pharmacy. They're my patient two hours later in the emergency room 
and they can't feel anything or move anything on the right side of their body. I think it's related. I've been the ER doctor that has someone come in two hours after they get a COVID shot. They sit down at home. They try to stand up. Their legs don't work because they're paralyzed from the waist down. They have transverse myelitis. I believe it's related. And so here's the thing. According to the arbitrary rules that they made, if someone, someone is not counted as vaccinated until two weeks after they get the vaccine, did you hear what I said? Yeah, They're so saying it's, you're not counted be, as vaccinated it's significantly until two weeks after under, they get the vaccine. It's significantly undercounted what's really going on. Is what, and you're using one one data point to prove that, but but how do we reconcile the thirty five thousand deaths that they actually admit to? Because they're not admitting to anybody that died in the first two weeks, compared to the forty six I think deaths where they pulled the the other vaccine off the market in the seventies. I mean, what is going well, on? Well, you're asking the question that Robert F Kennedy keeps shouting from the rooftops. There's one industry. Only one industry, manufacturing industry, that has immunity from being sued with their product. Even if it's proven that their product killed your baby, even if it's proven and it's irrefutable, and a 12-man jury says that absolutely that product killed your child, the in the in 1986 under Ronald Reagan, Congress passed. A, a law saying that the pharmaceutical, the, phar the vaccine manufacturers are immune to being sued. No but matter how does what. that translate? Because that's obviously wrong. But how does that translate into, okay, they're immune. We're not going to go after them, but yet let's still keep it on the market. I mean, that's even, that's one step farther than allowing immunity. That's what uh, this organization ICANN uh, is. Yeah, I know uh, who they are. Yeah. That's what Robert F. Kennedy is running. That's a large part of his platform. That this is a corrupt it's absurd. corporate. It's absolutely absurd. Right. We're killing. We're we know to, we know that people are dying. We have solutions such as your solution. We have all sorts of other solutions. We're still doing it, and people are dying, and we're not doing anything about it. It's coordinated, so, Sarah. Is coordinated. Evidence is there. If you'll just look at, I'll give you an example. When I said that budesonide is a silver bullet for COVID. I said that in March, in uh, early 2020. Yep. And, and uh, on the heels of that, Dr. Tedros says uh, on the internet to the whole world, there is no silver bullet for COVID-19. And there might never be with that cadence. The exact same words were spoken by anchor men and women around the world. In to India, discredit Australia, you. Yes. And, and so, so go ahead. we've seen messaging repeated over and over by mainstream media, very coordinated messages, propaganda that later is proven wrong. Uh, he said that I can say in uh, the, the proof is here three years later, Oxford University proved what I was talking about was right. And, and Anthony Fauci was wrong. There's no retraction by uh, CBS, CBS, ABC. Uh, CNN or any other organization that might have said otherwise. And there's no retraction by Anthony Fauci uh, on purpose. Uh, but that you talk about dangerous misinformation. When I said budesonide used early was effective for COVID and safe and inexpensive, and that would have stopped the they vaccine agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was Anthony Fauci got a, did an interview with Matthew McConaughey and said that budesonide 
is uh, just a placebo. It doesn't really work. But see, now and, that's what I'm talking about when I say people need to be held accountable. Because I remember I told be, you, I did a little mini documentary talking about how you were being censored, but yet they're sh throwing this stuff out there anyways. How can they, how can they ignore a, a, a great treatment that works, that makes it not, not um, okay to put this vaccine out there? And they know I, people are say, dying. And I I'm know there's say, immunity, but this is a bigger, go ahead. I'm going to say there are some corporate heads and people who are investors in corporations that say there are 38 billion reasons why and benefits to the COVID shots, to the Pfizer COVID shots in 2022. $38 billion were made off of the COVID shots it's by money. Pfizer in just 2022. Now, I'm going to say in 2022 alone, Moderna had $18.5 billion. So but Moderna, let me ask dollars. you. Let me ask you with Moderna. That was their first product. Who made all their money on that? That that's the kind of stuff we need to get to the bottom of. Here's something that's interesting to me: that the Gates Foundation, which is a quote nonprofit organization, gives eight hundred and fifty million dollars to Harvard Medical School, and shortly thereafter, that a certain Harvard <laughs> Medical School professor becomes the CDC director, and, and during her short tenure as CDC director promoting Moderna shots and Pfizer shots, she's receiving $260,000 a year from Harvard Medical School while she's the CDC director receiving $67,000 as a CDC director from the government. She received more money from an outside source that happened to receive money from another outside source that was a major investor in both Moderna and Pfizer. I think that's interesting. Well, at Harvard, okay, these supposedly best medical schools in the country were the last ones to pull their vaccine mandates when they knew it was killing people. I'm going to got to get to the bottom of that stuff too. I'm going to say that there's a whole lot of uh, strings attached. There's a whole lot of uh, conflicts of interest. And a doctor is held to a very high standard normally where I teach advanced trauma life support, how to treat trauma patients in the emergency room in the field to ER doctors. I started teaching that 30 years ago. So I teach emergency room doctors. And every time I'm going to teach, I have to sign a paper saying whether I have a conflict of interest, any financial conflict of interest, even if it's one penny. Have you seen any of that from Harvard Medical School or Rochelle Walensky? That's right. From Harvard Medical School. We have, have to get to the bottom that? of that. Whether, like Scott, whether you said, whether we, 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 we need to refrain between revenge and accountability. But if we don't get to this, then the whole system is a corrupt mess and people are going to keep dying. Well, let me give you a couple of examples, Sarah, from my perspective. Bobby Bounds has this data from his review of Minnesota death certificates. And one of the things that I think he very appropriately points out is that if you look at the 2019 deaths in children and then to 2020, they dropped. What that means is we have a legitimate question to ask. What was the provocation for locking down schools? We saw literally the 2017 and 2018 and 2019 data for deaths in Minnesota for kids. And in 2020, it was dropping. It dropped. 
And yet we were told that the rationale for locking down schools was to protect them. Actually, I think the question would be, what was the real purpose for locking down That's schools? That's right. That's what I'm trying to get. Yeah. I mean, to me, that kind of data analysis from people like Bobby are what are going to rule the day as we move forward. I think that Bobby very appropriately identifies all-cause mortality as a key metric that we need to look at because that's one that nobody can game. I mean, we know that there have been games played. You can follow the money. I think that even now we're starting to see hospital administrators. I had a hospital administrator call me from out of Minnesota two days ago. And he said, Doc, he said, we all know that hospitals and clinics are willing to fiddle around with the numbers as long as they're playing the game within the rules and the bounds of where they can't be, if you will, crucified later. But he went on to say, you know, there were irregularities. And I think that's what we need to that's do is right. to get those questions at that irregularity. All cause mortality. In Minnesota, we typically, prior to COVID, we had 45,000 deaths per year. Then we have to look at the all-cause mortality. And if you look at the, two, the 2018, uh, 19, 19, 20, if you look at the flu cause of death, it, it had backed off. So the question of was there a, a fairly large group of people, elderly, frail, with multiple underlying medical conditions, sort of there who really got hit hard by this new virus that came in? If that's the case, then we need to ask ourselves, and nobody's asked this question that I know of, Sarah, in a, in a real deep way, is can we have a conversation about what happened in the, in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, where that epidemic, pandemic, hit young people between 20 and 40 real hard versus this pandemic? where it seems that the hardest targeted were the elderly and frail? Because I have many patients that told me, Doc, they said, I don't want America changing its character as to what it is in an effort to try to make sure that I get a chance to live from 85 to 90. That's I don't right. want my grandkids dying at the age of 20 or 25. So to me, when we sort of said, I think it was de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, came out and said, I don't care if we spend a billion dollars. If we save one life, it's worth it. Really? That, a billion right. dollars? That I mean, it's crazy if, what they were doing. If my, if, if my great grandpa is 98 years old and frail with 20 medicines per day, and if we save him from COVID at 99, we're going to give up the billion dollars that could save countless number of children, stop countless number of physical abuse cases. I mean, I, I think we lost our minds. We, we did we lose our minds because these children were traumatized. I mean, I was pulling my hair out. I was watching a slow moving train wreck and I was so frustrated and angry. And, yeah. um, but I, think and that's, I know that's, I was that's, with a lot of people. That's the value, though, of having people like Bobby Bounds. That's right. Analyzes data. That's is right. You, you do, it, people do, should not think that just because someone has MD or PhD behind their name, Amen that they that. really that they that they get it. Because some of the people that have shown the most insight 
during the last three years have been people that just roll up their sleeves, look at the data, make requests for the data, painstakingly go through death certificate after death certificate after death certificate and come up with really good questions that exposes the ridiculousness of many of the policies. And, and it can't that, be me, censored though. We got to get past the censorship and we have to get to what the crux of really what's going on and then exactly. hold people accountable because yeah. otherwise, Sarah, there's, go ahead, Bobby. Sarah, there's a, there's a grassroots roots effort of which the four of us are involved and there's many, many of us. And that is what has done more to put the kibosh on the current vaccinations program than anything because our friends, our family, the word kind of trickles out even to the brainwashed people. And even though they won't admit they were wrong, uh, good luck finding them down there getting another injection. They're not going to do right. it because At they least know it's, yeah. it's, it's Russian roulette. That's right. And, when that's good. Quickly, you know, I was hoping Dr. Bartlett would chime in here because I've got, you know, uh, I've just got my own biases and everything, but I'll tell you that the only way an analyst can succeed in analyzing healthcare data is to have medical people at every step of the way. You cannot understand the death and dying process. You cannot understand the disease process. If you haven't been on the COVID floor, you don't know what really happened. And so you can look at numbers all day, but if you don't have medically trained people uh, checking and it's hard to get a hold of get their attention because they're so, such busy people but if you can drag them away and, and just say hey, would you please look at this and you know tell me I'm crazy or oh yeah you, you might be on to something that's so important and these two uh, gentlemen have uh, been very helpful obviously in that regard to me personally and to many others as well I'm sure but in the beginning of 2020 uh, I, I saw a uh, Scott on on in the media raising the, the thing about the death certificates and I thought wow you know uh, you know this doesn't this doesn't make sense you know and and then um, uh, I saw Dr. Bartlett just being interviewed just just as a a, lo a local emergency doctor and he's saying hey I've got this thing budesonide it, it's in, in what's what is it Dr. Bartlett an inhalable inhalable steroid, inhalable steroid. yes yes yeah. an inhaled steroid. Like, Yes, and it's helping, you know, and, and the and you you know you know the rest of the story. But the the what what I've learned is that the ginning up of the COVID numbers has done more to derail the argument regarding vaccines than anything anything. Yet it gets it get and it was the first thing that was raised by Dr. Uh, Scott Jensen. Uh, the, the numbers are ginned up. The only thing that's debatable is to, to the extent, to quantify. If you want to be super conservative uh, and you're medically trained and you read uh, uh, 5,000 death certificates, uh, about half of them, at the very least, it'll be dubious as to whether that person's lifespan was shortened in the least by symptoms from a respiratory infection. So, and, and I've kind of settled on about a one to four uh, just by looking at different countries and a lot of different states, I think it's about a 400% inflation. These two might disagree, but 
Well, one you know, thing, Bobby, you, you tell it, me. It's, anyway, sorry, I'll stop there. No, well, one thing that you said, and I, I would like to get um, final uh, thoughts um, from all of you, but I wanted to, and, and then we can close this up because I know you guys have a tight schedule, but um, I asked you point blank. It used to be one out of a million deaths before you pull off the vaccine, maybe less, 46 out in the 70s. And we're running, based on death certificate numbers, you're seeing about one out of a thousand possible vaccine deaths and they haven't pulled it yet. I'm I'm just appalled by that. But I, I'm gonna put that in there, but can you guys each have a, just a final statement so we can close this out and um, we can go from there. Yes, uh, I got a few quick points. Number one, I work in the emergency room. Scott Jensen takes care of patients as well. And so we see people, we put our hands on people, we listen to their hearts, if someone comes in with chest pain, shortness of breath to the emergency room, I work as an emergency room doctor for a heart hospital. Many people come in with myocarditis, heart attacks, chest pain, heart problems of various kinds, and we do many tests, but there's one blood test that is the acid test to see if heart cells have died, exploded, spilled their contents into the bloodstream as evidence that we can pick up on a blood test. It's called troponin. If the troponin test is elevated, that person has heart cells that are dying. Heart tissue is dying. Right then, irrefutable. They go to the OR for bypass surgery. They go to the ICU. Out of the University of Basel in Switzerland, they just published a study saying that 2.8% of the people that get COVID shots in their study had elevated troponin, meaning they had heart tissue die cells, heart cells explode, spill the troponin into the bloodstream, and it's picked up on a blood test. Three out of 100. When they say that there's millions of shots that have been given and no trouble, and that's our evidence that it's safe, that's insane. That's that's backwards logic that, that is already being It's just not true. It's not true. But right. can I ask you one question before you go? Because I really need to ask this, and I forgot to ask you. Do you believe that there is this huge tsunami of deaths that could happen from people who are vaccinated? Or do you think that we have the tools for all these people that are lurking out there with side effects that we can treat them, make them healthy, long lives? I mean, what are we dealing with going forward? A, a scientific study that was published in, in China, it was published uh, in December, just uh, five months ago, on mice that received COVID shots after they got their fifth shot and beyond, their every measure of their immune system was toast. Their B cell immunity, their T cell immunity, they had an acquired immune deficiency syndrome. That would be called AIDS. And interestingly, uh, the FDA, when we gave a Freedom of Information Act request for the Pfizer shot data they that they had in hand, that they didn't have to create, they had it already in a file, we asked them to release that so we could give informed consent to the patients, to the public, and tell them the good news, the bad news, the latest news. Their response was, we, we will not release that to the public for 50 years. I, I, that's crazy. And then they released, they said two weeks later, no, we'll go 75 years. We're not gonna, we're gonna withhold this from the public for 75 years. We eventually got one fortieth of that information. I'm on the nonprofit board that sued the FDA for that. That's the icon. That's a uh, uh, Aaron Suri and company that got the fight. Yes, me and Aaron Suri were sitting at the table together in the. Oh, you were with them. Federal... Good. Yes, good, in the federal courtroom, you. it was me and him at one table, and it was three Department of Justice lawyers from flown in from D.C. to Fort Worth to defend the uh, 
uh, FDA trying to stonewall and hide the information from the American people on the other side. And what we got was a list of 1,200 diagnoses of heart attacks, strokes, dozens of autoimmune disorders, disorders, and one diagnosis on the list that Pfizer made the list about things that were associated with their product, reported to be associated with their product. They call them special adverse events of special interest, bad outcomes that are especially bad. And one of them was AIDS cancer, Kaposi's sarcoma. AIDS cancer, Kaposi's sarcoma was on a list that Pfizer made of a disease associated with their product and they knew it and they didn't want to release it. The FDA knew it. And how transparent is it that they wanna hold it from the public for 75 years? Yes, there's things that need to be turned right side up. There are, there are agencies that need to be cleaned out. That's there right. are things that need, there are laws Absolutely. that are already, there are laws in place that need to be upheld. And so my message again is, hey, after five shots, if you're a mouse, your immune system's gonna be toast if you get another COVID shot. So the people uh, who at, keep at going my, back are probably in trouble. They probably, yes, but the ones thank who, the ones who only got a couple, they might be all right, but they got to be on top of it. And we're still sitting on a tsunami of issues. I looked at, I looked at Bobby Bounds uh, data, the death certificate data from New Mexico. And I saw some interesting things. People that were that were counted as COVID deaths by the state, about 10 to 15% of those uh, off the top of my head, that's a, a rough estimate, died with GI hemorrhage caused by, oh, here's a common cause for GI hemorrhage, IV steroids, which were given by the bucket loads for the first time in history. Did we give this in mass to anybody that had a COVID diagnosis in the hospital? They'd get IV steroids. And then no surprise, we saw a huge amount of them get GI bleeds, got anemic, deathly sick. And oh, by the way, because they had a positive COVID test and they died in the hospital, that's what the cause of death was called, but it just happened to say one of the contributing factors was a GI bleed. No, it was IV steroids causing the GI bleed that pushed someone off the cliff and caused a disaster. That's one example. Northwestern University just published that up to that over 50% of the deaths that were diagnosed as COVID, evidence now with their AI generated research, over 50% of them might've died mainly from secondary bacterial pneumonia. How do we treat that? With antibiotics. And so early, when someone came in with COVID, my protocol was an antibiotic. And that's why Scott Jensen alluded to the fact that I learned from the uh, 77 uh, uh, walking pneumonia deaths, the Legionnaire's disease deaths, because that needed to be treated with a specific antibiotic. So I used clarithromycin uh, as soon as someone was diagnosed to protect them from what now Northwestern University is saying a week ago, three years later, was the major cause of death for people. The people were diagnosed with COVID deaths, but actually over half of those were bacterial secondary pneumonia. They could have been prevented. You could have been prevented for 90% of the people. They wouldn't have even gone to the hospital or ER if they would have got budesonide early, according to Oxford University with their stoic trial. Fauci knew about it. That was suppressed and squashed. There's a coordinated effort worldwide, and this needs to be turned around, and it is in a grassroots effort with your show and shows like yours. So I appreciate what you're doing, Sarah. 
Well, I appreciate it. I'm just worried about the the sitting people out there that, you know, I had Jennifer Sharp on that has a movie called Anecdotals that's the only one that's allowed on YouTube because Senator Ron Johnson allowed it, called up YouTube after it was canceled and pulled up saying, no, this is real. And they're saying there's a lot of people, millions of people sitting out there suffering alone because the medical establishment won't admit that there are people with side effects that are suffering. And I just want to know how big of a problem that is because we we're not doing anything. We have doctors like you guys that are saying, okay, let's create some clinics and help these people. But in general, the medical establishment is making these people. I have a friend who just had someone commit suicide because the blood clots were so bad and nobody was helping her. So this is happening. Go ahead. Dr. Jensen has some things that he needs to close. No, I wanted him to close with too. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, go ahead. It's important because this is, this is what's happening. It's real. Uh, you know, my, my sister-in-law got her fourth COVID shot, immediately has a headache, immediately gets disoriented, becomes psychotic for the first time in her life at 64 years old, goes into the hospital for three months, is treated for uh, on the psych ward after she receives IV steroids because I talked to the doctors and she recovers completely. Triggered by the shot. In that hospital, they said they were not not aware that this could happen. Now they're seeing it over and over again. Well, now uh, they know the what to do, doc- hopefully. Now they know what to do. But uh, Senator Jansen's time is valuable, and I want to let him close. Well, th- thank you, Dr. Bartlett, and thank you, Sarah and Bobby. I would just like to raise the concern that we have, as a medical profession and as a nation, we've always elevated the importance of informed consent. If you don't provide informed consent, basically that's an invitation for malpractice. It's interesting that in the Journal of American Medical Association, just in the last uh, few days, May 16th, 2023, the problems of informed consent and the limits of the First Amendment. When when we have our governmental agencies tell Dr. Bartlett that he's putting himself at risk, if he ventures too deeply into the world of informed consent as he talks to his patients and their families in the emergency room, We have done an incredible transgression. And this is what happened. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort of wake America up. And we're trying to do it with data that really isn't subject to individual interpretation. We're trying to look at data like Bobby Bounds has raised. We're trying to look at data like Dr. Bartlett and you have referenced, Sarah. The CDC itself has indicated that of the deaths related, referred, produced through the VAERS program, which is around 25 to 30,000. They have indicated that 20% of those were deaths that occurred within 48 hours of receiving the vaccine. We have to, that has to beg the question. Do doctors typically provide vaccines to people who are on their deathbed? I would say no, I don't. If I have a patient that's in the office, has a pneumonia or a strep throat and a fever of 101, but by the way, their tetanus shot was due, I tell them, let's get you over the strep throat. Let's get you over the pneumonia. Come in in two weeks when you're well. You don't have to see me for an office visit. We're not going to charge you more money, but get your tetanus shot then. Most doctors do that. So if we have some 5,000 deaths plus within 48 hours of receiving a vaccine, how does that not become a part of the informed consent process? That's right. If we have if we have medicines that could be repurposed, used off label, and they're being done so across the world, 
how are we honoring patients' rights by not allowing physicians to provide that information, which would be a part of informed consent? Because informed consent at the end of the day has to involve information, it has to involve confidentiality, and it has to involve allowing a patient to be their own best champion. That's why we do informed consent. So Sarah, I do have to go in, but I, I do just wanna say, Bobby, thank you. And I want Dr. Bartlett to know that his name, his practice, his courage rose to the top very early on in COVID because I remember seeing him on news programs across the country and he stood strong and said, I'm not gonna back down. I think I can help these patients who are suffering and I'm not going to give them this false binary choice that you go home and you either get well on your own or get worse and come to us at the hospital when you're on death's bed door. I'm not going to do that because I think there's something else we can do and it's called early treatment. And in the end, we will never know how many people's lives were saved because of doctors like Dr. Bartlett. We'll just never know because we can't know who's alive today and flourishing that wouldn't have been had they not been treated by Dr. Bartlett. So it's a big think, number. It's a big number. And when we look at the swing, when we look at that Legionnaire's disease outbreak in 1976, we have to ask ourselves that question. Why did we not do in 2020 and 21 and 22 what we did in 1976? Because in 1976, when our best penicillins and our best aminoglycosides weren't curing these people with these pneumonia syndromes, we didn't go wandering around the world looking for a Tony Fauci. We just rolled up our sleeves, talked with our patients, talked with their families, and we tried our best because that's what we're supposed to do and because that is the essence of informed consent. So at the end of the day, one of the biggest casualties from COVID-19, in my mind, is informed consent. Well, thank you so much. We're going to leave it with that because that was wonderful. I mean, that's exactly right. Thank you. I just really appreciate everything that all of you are doing. I'm just I'm so thankful. So thank you so much and have an amazing day today. Thanks, Sarah.